Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I was just wondering if you're paying attention. It's, I'm very pleased to be with you today. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been in the building, although my, I found out uh, my grandchildren actually go to the school just down at the bottom here, and I parked here many times and wondering, I wonder what they're getting up to in this place. So it's nice to see you. It's nice to be here. Uh, I was asked just to share a little bit about myself. I don't want to do too much of that, but uh, I guess you could probably tell by my accent that I'm not from here, right? I'm originally from Los Angeles area, in fact, a place called Carson, California. And in case you didn't know, there was this little game called the Super Bowl that was played in my neighborhood, and my team won. Ha <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that. Anyway, uh, actually, uh, I was uh, raised in Southern California. My parents are from Texas. Uh, they, they were part of the last migration of black people in, uh, to the west of the United States. And... Um, to be honest with you, uh, my community was very, very nice, very competitive, but the schools they bust us to were not very good. Uh, I actually went to a school called Compton High School, and at that time, Compton had the highest death rate per capita in the United States. So it was interesting. Uh, There's some things that you should never go through when you're a kid. Uh, some of you worry about being bullied. We worried about getting shot. Right, And that's the truth. I actually had a gun pointed in my face once. Uh, we didn't actually know we were being robbed because it was normal. You know, they'd walk up to you and say, you got any money on you, man? No. All I find out I can have? Yeah. Let me check your shoes. You know, things like that. So we didn't really realize that they were robbing us, you know. But I, I'm telling you to say this because um, I never got in trouble. Uh, I never slept with anyone before I got married. Uh, uh, I never did drugs or anything. And uh, if you've ever seen a film called Boys in the Hood, any of you have heard of that? If you were bold enough to see that film, that film was taken, the, the time frame was a little bit after I left, right? And so those streets were the streets that we knew, and those communities were the communities we knew. My sisters would be able to tell you, oh, yeah, we know who that guy is, and we know who was shot, and we know that kind of thing. I said that to say that a lot of times you're hearing the negatives. You're hearing the bad things that are taking place. And yet you don't know that God is at work even in those communities. And so I ended up uh, transferring to Banning High School, which is in Wilmington. And that's where I met my wife. Uh, She's the best wife I ever had. Uh, She's also the only wife I ever had, just in case you didn't know. Uh, She was my uh, first girlfriend and my only girlfriend. We went on our first date the day we graduated from high school, June 10th, 1976. Ha <laughs> ha. In case you didn't know. And um, 
we ended up going to a Bible school together, and then she dumped me. Yes, she did, right? But I was persistent, hung with her, and God showed her wisdom eventually. <laughs> so we were married in 1980. Uh, in fact, we, we came over here to work in a church here in 1980. We got married in January, arrived here April 1st, haha, and we've been here ever since. Uh, I think right now I'm just about the longest serving minister in the community, which is quite unusual and uh, have been around pretty much a long time in the same church. In fact, I have some friends here. Deepak is with me, and, and uh, Betty I've known for about, I don't know, 144,000 years, something like that, you know. So there's, we've been around quite a bit, and I'm really grateful that God brought us here for such a time as this. You know, when we left and came here, uh, the idea or p- that people are thinking was, boy, you made a great sacrifice. You left California. How could you leave the sunshine? And how could you do this? You know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to us. If I hadn't left there, I think I would have ended up as a statistic, you know. And all I decided to do was whatever God wanted me to do, you do it. And so that's where I'm at. Uh, uh, I actually met your pastor in one of our leaders meeting that we have. And they asked me to share a little bit about the history of what we were doing. And I shared some things that were quite interesting to him. And he said, you know what? I really would like you to come and share with our church. I said, all right. So I'll do it. So I'm here. And uh, that's enough about me. He actually said to me that he was doing a series where he really wanted to talk about the the, the busyness of life and how do we deal with this problem we have of, of busyness and toil and labor and it, we're tired and it never seems to, to end and we never get through it. And so that's what I want to talk about, but I want to deal with it in a little different way. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to pretend like I'm at home. In fact, you look like some of my cousins. No, I'm kidding. But... Um, uh, and I just, I want to share with you something that God spoke to me about very, very clearly. I happen to be doing a series uh, at this particular time in my life on the book of Ecclesiastes. I was inspired by this from uh, a, a minister on, on the radio, believe it or not, that was sharing this. I got intrigued by this amazing book that I had never really studied before. And this book was written by a guy named Solomon. You probably heard of him. Second wisest man ever on the planet. There's only one guy wiser than him that we know about. That was Jesus. And this man had wealth. He had political power. uh, He had wisdom and understanding. He was amazing. And he wrote this book. uh, It's what we call a cultural apologetic. In other words, it's it's an answer to a question today. And the question is, what is the meaning of life? And if you ever read the book, uh, some pe- uh, commentators, they act like, uh, oh, he was backslidden when he wrote this book. He wasn't. There are three things he wants us to know in it. I want to just brief you those notes, and then I'll go on what we're going to do. Basically, he wants us to know that life apart from God is meaningless. In other words, if you're living for money, if you're living for sex, if you're living for anything apart from God... You're never going to find it. And you'll see him using words like vanity, vanity. And he always uses words when he's talking about things under the sun. And so he's saying, if you're living for this life, 
you're not going to make it. But then the second thing he wants us to know is that God is the source of all that we enjoy. And that's a surprise. And that's why he says things like live joyfully and things like that in the scripture, which we'll see in a minute. And then the last thing he wants us to know is that we're ultimately accountable for everything that we have to do. So that's a, that's a little bit of the, the thought process of this. So can you put this up? So I want to talk to you about death. Ooh. I put the grim reaper up there. That's what he looks like. You know, I, I saw him one day and I took a picture of him. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I, this is what he's talking about in this book. And when we're talking about busyness and so forth, bear with me. Bear with me, okay? So let's, let's go a little bit. I want to show you three things that he tells us about death. The first one is this. Our lives are in the hand of God. That's the first thing he wants to know. Now, you'll see what, what he does in this book is he says, I saw this, I considered this, I looked at that. And remember, he was in a position to do anything. He could do anything he wanted, he could see anything he wanted, and he was the best man to check things. You know, he was the guy that, to look at. So he, he literally is telling us his observations, okay? So let me show you where he starts. Uh, he starts this way. He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, that sounds like some of us, yeah? How many of you have this problem where you get up in the morning and you say, I've got this business to do and so forth, and then you work, 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 and then by the time you get to the evening, you feel like you haven't had any time for yourself. And so you, you kind of, you want something. So you flick through the TV and you go, I really shouldn't be watching it. But you flick through the TV and then the next thing you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. Yeah? And then you have to get up at six again. So then you, you have these magic words, I'm tired. You know that one, don't you? Of course, that's only me. That's only happened to me. Isn't that something he says? He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness that is done on the earth, even though no one sees sleep, night or day, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. He's trying to, to find out the, the work, what is God doing? And then he carries on in the next chapter. For I considered all this in my heart so that, so that I could declare it all. And this is what he wants to declare. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything set before them. So he's telling us that whether you're, have you ever seen a film, the good, the bad, the ugly? <laughs> he's saying they're all in the hands of God. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, you don't know love or, or, or hatred. You don't know whether tomorrow you're going to fall in love. You don't know whether tomorrow somebody's going to hate you for no reason. You have no clue. Our lives are in the hands of God. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Death is inevitable. If you live long enough, sooner or later you're going to die. Yeah? 
Listen to what he says. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. In other words, no matter who you are, whether you're righteous or not, sooner or later, one thing's going to happen to you. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. This, in, in this life, this is the thing that we hate. Isn't it? That one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So he's letting us know something. He said, this is what I saw. That it didn't matter who you were or what you were. Sooner or later, you are going to pass away. Bear with me. Okay? So, your life's in the hand of God. Death is inevitable, but here's an interesting one. Hope only exists while you're alive. Hope only exists while you're alive. What is he talking about? Notice, let me go back there just a second. Notice I stick a lion there. All right? There's a reason why I put that up there, okay? Listen to what he says. But for him who is joined to all the living... There's hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know, everybody wants to be a lion these days. He's the king of beasts, right? And, and we, uh, the, there's so many teams. There, there's a team in America, the Detroit Lions. Uh, the English, I believe your football, uh, what is it, the soccer team? Not soccer, the um, rugby team. The British Lions. King of beasts. But if you're a lion and you're dead, you can't do anything. But if you're a dog, and by the way, a dog in those days wasn't like Spot and Rover, right? Dogs in those days were scavengers. You remember a lady named Jezebel? When she was killed, the Bible says the dogs licked up her blood. Remember a guy named, uh, what was his name, Lazarus? Uh, The Bible says that his sores were so bad that the dogs licked his sores. I've seen dogs do some weird things right? But we don't want to go that way. He said, but if you're a dog, even if you feel like you're as low as a dog, as long, as long as you're alive, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. He says, for the living know that they will die. But the, this is, this is interesting, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. In other words, as far as this life is concerned, they have nothing more to do. In other words, if you always wanted to go to Jamaica, you can't go when you're dead. But even if you're broke and you're still alive, there's hope to make that trip. You get what he's trying to say? So he's telling us that hope only, as long as you're alive, there's hope for you. Now, what does this mean? Why am I telling you this? We're talking about busyness and so forth. You see, what Solomon wants us to know is, hold on, let me go back just a little bit. What it means is death should teach us how to live. The fact that you know you're going to perish should change 
the way you live. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, it should make us appreciate the simple things in life. This is what he says. He says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your work. I was thinking about this. Uh, Why is it that all the foods that are good for you don't taste so good? But the ones that aren't good for you, they always taste good, don't they? I mean, have you ever had an apple pie diet? Never. Chocolate cake diet? No. It's it's always um, greens, isn't it? Rabbit food. You know, I think it was uh, Homer Simpson who said you can't make friends with salad or something like that, right? But think about it. If you really knew that you were going to die in six months, you certainly wouldn't go on a diet, would you? You'd say, in fact, in America, we have the death penalty in certain states. And what they do is they give them a last meal. And the last meal is, what do you want to eat? Whatever you want. If I were them, I'd order some super exotic thing that would take six months to bring in and keep my life going. I guess you can't do that, right? But if, you're, if you knew, if you knew, it should help you appreciate this. Listen, isn't it true that we go from one thing to the next? We do this, and we say, I'm just going to finish this. And sometimes we're so engaged with our problems that we forget just that's a nice drink. That's a nice bite. He says, enjoy the simple things in life, especially if you know God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white. What do we wear at funerals? Black. But what are we at parties? Black. No. What he's talking about is the idea of the the garments of joy. You remember um, in Isaiah, he says, uh, Jesus Jesus even quoted, he said, uh, um, uh, I've been anointed to, to give them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. So he says, let your garments always be. Or in other words, enjoy living because you're going to die. And then he says this, let your head lack no oil. When I was growing up, they had this thing. I'm sure you probably heard of it among some of our people. It was called a jerry curl. Have you ever heard of it? If you hadn't, uh, you don't want to. And they also had this thing called the wet look. And the wet look was where you took off your hair. You know, when, um, those of you who, who you probably wouldn't know this, but African, Afro-Caribbean people have real issues with our hair, right? Of course, I don't. You know, I, I just let it fly. You know, I just wash and go myself. But anyway, um, they, <laughs> they have issues with their hair, right? And this thing came out. So you put this chemical in your hair, and then this wet stuff was in your hair. And sometimes they had so much of this wet stuff, right, that if you did like that, you'd get hit with a wave of oil, Right? Sometimes you sit in somebody's chair and get up and there'd be a spot on the wall, right? The, the idea is, hey, grease up. You know, what do you do when you're going to go to a park? You, you put the stuff, you lotion, you know, you get your skin. What he's saying is, enjoy living because you're going to die, right? It should also cause you to consider your relationships. I have a picture here of my wife. She didn't know I was going to put this on here, but I know I can do this because there's a whole bunch of people here, and she won't get mad at me because I put her picture up here. My wife, I I love her very dearly, and um, 
I, I want you to know that I have two children. I have a son that's uh, in his late 30s, and I have a daughter that's in the early 30s. They're six years apart from them. But we actually had a daughter in between them, and she died. Uh, she she um, had a very unusual thing. There's a point where the, the egg split, and it turns into you get this side of your brain, and that side, and hers didn't split right. So uh, they... The doctor said, look, this child is going to die. You might as well abort her. And we said, well, is it going to hurt my wife at all? And they said, no. And I said, well, we're going to give her the best nine months of her life. And we didn't know it was a girl at that time. And then we're just going to give God a chance to heal her. And so my wife became pregnant. My wife has never been very heavy at all, right? But all of a sudden, at about the fifth month, my wife started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Her stomach got so big that the fluid couldn't go in. It was hard, right? Then her legs started to swell. Then her neck started to swell and her face started to swell. And it got so bad that we had to send her to the hospital. And she was admitted into the hospital. And they literally, everything she drank, they monitored. And every time she went to the loo, they monitored it as well because they were concerned about her. And I was talking to a physician and I was saying, well, what does this mean? Is this going to hurt her? And he started to explain. He said, well, you know, she, it's possible she could have high blood pressure. It's possible that this could happen. And, I, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, for, for a moment, it probably was about a minute, it's like a window opened. And I thought my wife was going to die. I, thought, I really thought she was going to die. And every time I've ever had to go through something serious and difficult, Every time, God has always given me grace. But my wife was not going to die. And so, because of this, I had no grace. I'm not kidding. I understand why people grieve so much now. Because I've never, I've always had the grace of God to deal with me. For about, it must have been a minute. While the doctor was talking to me, it was like all of a sudden grief came. I was like, my wife's going to die. She's going to, and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and my mind just started running, and my heart started beating, and I just became overwhelmed with grief. And then after about a minute, I guess it was, it's like it went, choom, and God said, she's not going to die. And I went, <gasps> and the doctor looked at me and said, are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. That changed my life. It changed my life. Because at that point, it suddenly dawned on me that my wife could be gone. It did. It did. I happened to be going through this very passage, this very session. And I made up my mind at that time. I said, you know what? I don't care what she does. I'm never going to let it, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to be troubled by simple stuff. I'm not, you know how you get mad because... The dishes aren't done properly, or this isn't done, or they get angry with the kid. I'm telling you, it clicked. It clicked. It's going to happen. We talk about it all the time. My daughter and I talk about it. My daughter has already had dibs on my guitar, right? Dad, can I, when you die, I'm having my guitar, right? Yeah. You know, we talk about it. We do. But it changed me. It changed me. Listen to what Solomon says. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. 
all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. He's saying that your days of meanness, of toil, he's talking about. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. This is what God has given you. And what happens is sometimes we forget what we have because we're reaching for something that doesn't mean anything. You know, I could have easily said, you know, seven tips for uh, uh, lack of busyness. You know, number one, a schedule. Number two, you know, and all that cute stuff. But the reality is, until something hits home, until it clicks, right? Until you experience something, it never clicks. It never clicks. You'll never lose weight until you really have to. You know, my dad was a smoker, like crazy, right? He smoked all the time. And then he got emphysema. And the doctor said, you, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. He stopped smoking. And one day I said to my dad, I said, Dad, do you ever get cravings to smoke? He said, oh, every day, just like that. And I thought to myself, what is it that makes this man who wants to smoke every day, what stops him from smoking? Death. That's what stops him. Live joyfully with your your wife, your husband, your kids. That little boy I had that, that was five years old or four and a half years old that went to Winterbourne School in his cute little shorts is a fireman now. He's a fireman now, <laughs> right? Enjoy him while you've got him. I'm almost done. It should affect your service toward God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. In other words, you can't do it if you're gone. Uh, it amazes me how we, you know, as soon as I finish school, I'm going to serve God. You know, as soon as, if I can just finish university, then I'm going to really give God. You know, and then if I can just get that job, Lord, I'll serve you. And then if God is, if that promotion is up, if I can just get the house, I will, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm too old. I'm too old. The Bible says that in the New Testament. It says, whatever you do, do it to the Lord. Do it with your might. He says, right now, this is your time. You have a bucket list? Get it going because you're going to die. It also should affect your, affect your response to God. And this is the last bit I want to tell you, okay? I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Just because you're fast doesn't mean you're going to win. Nor the battle to the strong. Just because you're stronger doesn't mean you're going to win the battle. Nor bread to the wide. Just because you have wisdom doesn't mean you're going to be able to feed your family. Nor riches to men of understanding. Just because you know the stock market doesn't mean you're going to get wealthy. Nor favor to men of skill. Just because you're talented doesn't mean you're going to get the spot. What is he telling us? But time and chance happen to them all. Are you saying that everything Solomon is just arbitrary? No, God knows what you don't. And God does it on purpose that we might fear him. He says, for man also does not know his time. And that's what makes death so cruel because sometimes people go and you think that they're too young. 
Sometimes people are gone and you think that they, they, it, it just wasn't time. You don't know. He does it on purpose. Listen to what it says. Like fish taken in a crew net. You know what amazes me? Fish live in schools all the time. And yet no one teaches them, don't hit that worm on the thing. You know, you'd think that'd be the first thing they teach you in their fish school, right? That's a bad joke in case you didn't get that, right? They're in schools all the time, but they never learn. Like fish, you're swimming along in life. You think you're going to do then suddenly, wham, you're caught in a net. Like birds, it says, that are caught in a net. You're just flying along, going where you're going. Then suddenly, bam, the net comes and you're caught. So the sons of men, and that sons of men is talking about those who are not walking with God. The sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. So we don't know our time. So what, here's my summary, right? Your life is in the hand of God, and that's a fact. Death is inevitable, and that's a fact. So what should it teach me? Hope only exists while I'm alive. So every person in this room has hope, including me, every one of us. So don't forget to enjoy living. Don't forget. Live Don't forget to enjoy those who are dearest to you. Don't be that person who didn't talk to your son or didn't talk to your daughter or didn't talk to that that cousin and it's been 20 years and that thing that you got messed up with, you just didn't, you wanted to talk about it, you wanted to say something, but you didn't say it because it was awkward. Be awkward. One thing that I regret uh, my dad had some issues. He had some issues. I never had a problem with him and myself, but he had his own issues. And my dad got ill. He went, he ended up in, um, we, in fact, I'll tell you just quickly. I was here, and I flew for my aunt's funeral, and I saw my father uh, at the funeral, and I felt in my spirit, and I'm telling you the truth, that he was going to die soon. I really did. And I couldn't shake it. So I went back to my, to my wife. I said, hon, I think my dad's going to die soon, right? Let's go for Christmas. And so we arranged. We flew home for Christmas. And it was December 23rd. My, my, my wife and my, my mother were in the kitchen. My kids were upstairs. It was really going. And my dad just kicked off. He did. He started screaming. He said, granny, granny. That's my mom, my grandmother, my mother, yeah. Granny, granny. And he started uh, kicking off. And he basically called the ambulance, called the ambulance. And they said, what's wrong? He said, call the ambulance. I went into the room. And when I went into the room, now remember, I've never had an argument with my dad. I've never had a problem with him. He said, get him out of here. That's what he said. That's what he said to me. He said, get him out of here. And you know what? Because I feared my dad and because I respected him, I left. I, I left the room. Right? My dad went to the hospital that day and never came out of the hospital. If I could run that back again, you know what I would do? I'd say, Dad, shut up. I'm your son. Right? I'm not moving. That's what I would have done. 
I said, I'm not moving. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's what I would have done. Sometimes hindsight is a great thing, isn't it? It's too late. I'm telling you, right, because I don't want you to make any mistakes that I've made. Live. Enjoy the people who are dear to you. Tell them you love them and show it to them. Don't forget to serve God. Don't forget to serve God. And if you don't know him, get right with him before death comes. Let's pray, yeah? Father, I've done my best to share in a short time some of the truth that you've shown to me. So I commit this word into your hands. I thank you for these people that I've never, most of them never met before. But these are my family, your children, your people. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today. I pray that what they've heard would not become something negative, but it would turn to something good. So speak to us tonight. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to talk to someone, someone in their family, I just pray that you would give them the courage and the wisdom to do it. If there's someone here that's burdened with being overworked, Lord, you said that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. So there's something, if if it's overwhelming, there's something that we're not doing right. Lord, I pray that you reveal it. And God, I pray that you help us to give you our best. I thank you for the excellence in this place. I can see and I can sense in my spirit that the excellence that, it, that, that different ones, the worship team and the, the AV team, they're giving the best that they can for your service. I pray that that continues and resonates through us. And Lord, help us to enjoy these days that we're in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just before I go, um, don't forget COVID, okay? Uh, uh, Two years it's been, and it scared us, didn't it? It scared us, didn't it? But God did it. So this is our time. This is our, don't forget what you've learned. Don't forget the need to meet. Don't forget that my loved ones could go. Don't let it be forgotten, okay? God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.